Is the new TikTok filter bold glamour pure evil? Can AI solve our mental health crisis? And does God need a gender? Let's find out. What's up guys, my name is Ben Pierce. This is Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction where I gather together some of the current events and stories of our day and ask the question, what would Jesus think and what would Jesus do? If you enjoy this content, consider subscribing or sharing it. Otherwise, please leave a comment below. I want to know what you think, agree or disagree, doesn't matter, I wanna hear from you. So in the last few days, TikTok released a brand new filter called Bold Glamour. And as the name suggests, it's pretty bold. So thousands of people have been going online, posting videos of themselves using this filter. And as they're doing it, they're reacting with a combination of laughter and also disbelief. Because the way that this changes your appearance is so bold, is so dramatic, that in many cases, the person is completely unrecognizable. Often the person will take the filter off just to show how dramatic the difference really is. So what's the big deal with this particular filter? Why has this one garnered all of this negative viral reaction? Well, I think it's really two reasons. I think the first reason is obviously how dramatic the filter really is. I mean, if you use this thing, it's like full on renovation to your face. You can barely recognize yourself with it on. But I think the bigger thing is just how advanced the technology has gotten. I mean, with previous generations of filters, it was pretty obvious that it was fake. As a lot of users point out, when you put your hand on your face, it would sort of reveal the tech to you. You could see that it was in fact a filter, but that's not so much the case with bold glamor. And I think it's the combination of the dramatic effect of the filter combined with how advanced the tech is that has people kind of freaking out. You know, this filter is really the perfect modern paradox in that it is both fake and realistic at the same time. And I think that's why people are freaking out so much because it is a version of themselves that they know isn't real and yet there is this possibility that just maybe they can convince the world that it is. So what are the consequences of this? Well, for one, I think this is sending an already very anxious, very depressed generation into a darker, deeper hole of anxiety and depression, that they simply cannot be the things that they see online. They might decide, you know what? I'd rather be this version of me online than the person that I really am. And they'll sacrifice their real interaction with the world in order to do that. I think people will start to not leave the house. They'll just say, it's not worth it. I can just sit here, I can click this button, I can present this curated image to the world, and I'd rather have that than people see me for who I really am, which of course is only gonna make things worse. And so what do we think about this as followers of Jesus? Well, obviously our hearts should break. I mean, who can compete with this? Nobody can, and this is only getting worse. I can't imagine what it would be like growing up up, having never known a world where this is not the reality. And so now more than ever, we need to be telling people that their worth has nothing to do with their skin or their eyes or their lips or any of this nonsense. I think we're going to be entering a season where people are desperate for validation, desperate for something real. And truly only followers of Jesus have a worldview that can give that to people, that they are created in the image of God and that that is what makes them valuable, not whether they live up to some fake idealized version of beauty propagated by the fashion industry and the online world and fake and false filters that literally none of us can truly live up to. As I'm sure you're aware, we have a mental health crisis. According to studies, now one in five Americans report dealing with mental illness. And to make matters worse, we also are experiencing a shortage of mental health care providers. 
And so it's the perfect storm. And so what do we do about this? Well, a lot of people are proposing AI. They're saying maybe we could use technology to fill in that gap and meet people's mental health needs. But can that really help? Will that really work? Millions of people are certainly giving it a shot. They're downloading apps like Wobot or Limbic, which provide automated health support through smartphone apps. There's other apps like Happify, which encourages users to break old patterns, and Replica, an AI companion that promises to, quote, always be on your side. It serves as a friend, a mentor, or even a romantic partner. Again, regardless of what you think, this is big business. In 2021, digital startups focusing on mental health secured more than $5 billion in venture capital. That's more than double than any other medical issue. And so we have this mental health crisis and this shortage of mental health care providers and rushing into that void are these apps, are these services. And so what do we think about all this? Is AI going to solve our problems? Ultimately, even the professionals and experts agree that at best, at the moment, all it's capable of doing is augmenting the existing services that take place. They simply see it as a first step or a tool that can increase the capacity of healthcare workers. Either way, it is not a silver bullet. Even experts agree. So as followers of Jesus, what are we supposed to think about all of this? Look, there are certainly a percentage of people who struggle with mental health, who need professional care, who even need medication. But with the numbers the way they are, it's critical that we ask the question, how have we gotten into this place? Now, I think there are some obvious things we can look at. The first topic of this video, Video, for example. The rise of the internet and social media certainly has contributed to the crisis that we find ourselves in, but it's also the breakdown of the family. It's the absence of father figures in our culture and community. It's the consequences of secular humanism, the death of God, and the resulting lack of meaning and purpose and value that people are grappling with in our society. And so yes, we need to deal with the symptoms. We need to deal with the manifestations of these underlying issues, but we also have to look at the issues themselves. And I think as followers of Jesus, we are in a perfect place to do this. We need to open our eyes to the fact that most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation. And we need to ask God, what could I do to help meet some of those needs? I think we need to be a friend. I think we need to recognize that a lot of our problems stem from loneliness, that very few people in this world have genuine friends, people that will be there for them, people who can celebrate the triumphs of their life and be with them during the hard times and the failures. And then of course, we need to be praying because we don't ultimately fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that are trying to ruin people, to throw them into darkness and depression and anxiety, and to keep them in bondage to that. And so we need to be praying not only that God intervenes, but ask him to use us to share the truth so that people can be set free and find the only true source of joy and peace, and that is Jesus. Now, we live in a world where to be male is to be toxic, where gender is controversial. And so then you take these ideas and you confront a Bible that is filled with gendered language, a Bible in which God is depicted using the pronoun he, where Jesus comes to earth as a man. And of course, you can imagine this causes conflict. And so you have a world that is criticizing the Christian worldview for the types of words it uses, for the ways that it characterizes God as a man. And so the question is, how do followers of Jesus react to this? What are our choices? Well, you could do what the Church of England is doing, which is to consider whether to stop referring to God as he. 
As Dr. Michael Ipgrave has recently come out and said, the church has been exploring the use of gendered language in relation to God for several years. Okay, now to be fair to them, they, they say they're only considering whether to remove gender language from the Bible. You probably agree, I certainly think, that this is not the right way to go. We live in a world in which there have been plenty of toxic males, and so I understand why some people have a lot of baggage when it comes to this. They wonder why God has to be associated with something that for them, has been a source of pain and hurt. But to me, any category in life, any good thing in life can be corrupted by imperfect examples. What can be a savior can become a tyrant. But the solution is not to disregard the category. The solution is not to do away with the good things. As a follower of Jesus, we have to resist capitulating to culture and the fear and the pressure that says you need to conform to the ideologies of our day. Instead, we need to present a restored positive vision of male, a father. We need to present a father who is not an alcoholic, who's not abusive, who's not absent, who's not a tyrant, but rather a father that loved us so much that he sent his son to earth, not to be a king, not to rule over others, but to empower the marginalized, to give a voice to the voiceless, and ultimately to die, to give himself for our sake so we could be set free. And this is what it means to care about people. We need to restore an image of the father like in the story of the prodigal son. The kind of father who even though his son abandoned him and betrayed him, was eager and anxious to receive him back, was undignified in his love and his response to this belligerent son. This is who God the father is. And so no, we need to not remove this language from the Bible, but we need to restore the original beauty and value of what it was intended for. Because ultimately this is what the world wants. The world may say that it wants to do away with male, that it wants to do away with gendered language, but I don't think that's ultimately true. I think people are desperate to be loved, to be valued. I think people are desperate to have a father that would care for them, that would not abuse them, but would be for them. And so rather than giving in to the pressure of culture and society, I think we actually need to do the opposite. We need to be proclaiming from the rooftops that people do have a good father, that he does love them, that he does want a relationship with them, that they don't have to be in bondage to their past, but that there is a beautiful, restored vision of both male and female, of both father and mother. And if they would open their hearts and minds to it, they could experience that for themselves. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you for checking out Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction. I hope this was helpful. If you agree, disagree, or have anything else to add, put that in the comments. Check out the link in description for more content from Provoke and Inspire. Otherwise, I will talk to you next time. Peace.